So today as we move through our service, what we're going to be hearing from, we're going to be hearing from Luke as he records the birth of the church in Philippi. And Marion has just read the first part of that to us this morning. Um, and, and we're going to move through that. The book of Acts is full of uh, people... Uh, coming into relationship with Jesus, uh, full of people's lives being transformed as they encounter Jesus, uh, as they hear the gospel uh, spoken to them and they encounter it and lived out in people's lives. The news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we as people can know uh, acceptance uh, with God, peace with God, back in relationship with God, not estranged, not alienated. That in Jesus we can find forgiveness. And, that it, and, and then while we also find forgiveness of sins, we also meet justice towards sin there in Jesus. And we see love and we see correction that makes us whole, that makes us secure, uh, gives us an irreducible hope for the future. And we're going to hear that from the book of Acts in Acts 16. And then we're going to hear it from our own people. Uh, People are going to get up and talk and share their testimonies. You know, here in Acts 16, Luke very uh, carefully picks out three different people. There would have been a bunch of people who, uh, as, as, as Paul's engaged in sharing the gospel in Philippi, there would have been more than three. They, they plant a church there. We get the letter to the Philippians later on from Paul. So we know there's a, a bunch of people there. There's a church established. But Luke records for us just three people here in chapter 16. And, and, and what he has in mind is for us to see that the gospel Uh, The good news about Jesus is for anybody. We learn in Acts 16, as we see in this room, like you look around this room, there's some strange setups uh, getting around in this room. And as we'll hear from people this morning, we'll see that the gospel is for people who are, are all over the map. All over the map socially, all over the map ethnically. It's for good people. It's for bad people. It's for oppressed people it's for people who are empowered people who have power in society and in Acts 16 and here amongst us we see how incredibly different and yet how incredibly similar the the Christian story of conversion is Uh, throughout the morning um, I don't know who's I think Jenny you've got the second reading or the third one you got the third one. Dave, you got the second reading. Oh, Dave's going to bring a street kid and, and Jen, Jenny's going to bring us uh, a jailer. But right now we've met Lydia. And what Lydia teaches us is that the gospel is for religious people, that religious people need to be transformed by the gospel just as much as bad people, that the gospel is for the moral and good people who think they've made something of themselves. Lydia is from Thyatira, so she's probably Mediterranean, uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, she's a businesswoman. She deals in high-end textiles, a purple linen that she deals in. is This is high-end textile stuff. And she not only does she have a business there in Thyatira, but she's got a house in Philippi as well, because that's where she takes Paul afterwards. So she is an extraordinarily a wealthy businesswoman, very successful. If she was kicking around in Melbourne, she would have outlets on Collins Street and one in Chadston maybe. She'd have an apartment on Clarendon Street and she might have a little beach house down in Dramana. That's Lydia. But she's also a very moral person, a very religious person. She's a Gentile reading Hebrew scriptures. 
She's reading the Bible, trying to work out, seeking to work out how she can please God, how she can um, be accepted by God. She wants to be a good person. She wants to do what's right. And the gospel comes to her via this discourse, via this rational discourse, this reasoning, this discussion we read there as Paul uh, comes in and, and Luke says that he spends time with these women and, 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 he's, and he's, they're just chatting and, and looking over. So they're reading Hebrew scriptures. So Paul would have just sold up and said, hey, let me explain how all of this stuff that you're reading makes sense and is fulfilled and is completed in the person of Jesus. That, that, that salvation, that redemption and all these things can be found in this man. And, and Luke writes that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive, uh, which is what it means to pay attention, to be, become attracted to the gospel and it transforms her. In Lydia's case, as I said, it would have come through this, this, this exposing, this reasoning uh, through the old scriptures, making them make sense that all of this promised hope that the Old Testament long, longs for, looks forward to, is found in Jesus. And that that can be a reality in Lydia's life as well. And she sees the truth of it. She sees the beauty of it. And the penny drops. And then we read there towards the end that she, she's saved and that she's baptized which is normative throughout Acts, normative throughout the, the New Testament. It's the first step of discipleship, if you like. Now, as we read this story, uh, there are some similarities. You will, you will resonate, have some similarities with Lydia. Uh, I imagine Shannon has some similarities with Lydia. But the main similarity is that both Shannon and Lydia have encountered Jesus and that they've been baptized to publicly witness to this new internal reality. As we heard down at the beach, baptism is this gift from Jesus, but it's also a command that Jesus left with the apostles, Matthew 28, that, that, that they would go and they would, as people came into faith, that they would baptize them. In baptism, Lydia and Shannon are acting out symbolically, demonstrating spiritual realities that we can't achieve ourselves, but we recognize that Jesus has achieved for us, namely that he died on our behalf for sin that separates us from a relationship with God that, that pushes us away from a relationship with God. Sin sort of replaces God with other stuff. Jesus was indeed buried and in that for three days and that he later rose again to full and eternal life. And all of that is symbolized in baptism as, as we saw Alex kind of put uh, Shannon under, symbolizing death and then raising to new life. Fortunately, Alex brought her back out of the water, so that's always good. But if baptism is just reduced down to our activity, what we've done, what we've said, then it's a very weak and compromised agreement. We're not very good at keeping our promises. And that's why we must see baptism is not merely us saying something to God, not merely us demonstrating something to God, but it's about God saying something to us, about God making promises towards us. That's why baptism is a gift and it's described as a seal. And again, this seal has already been imprinted on the heart of the believer. That's the work of the Spirit at conversion. However, baptism, this act, is given to us as a gift uh, that reminds us of that reality. So, so when we falter, when we, when we struggle and we wrestle with sin, 
and we will and we do. Uh, Christians are not perfect, but they're imperfectly pursuing Jesus because that's what to repent is, to, to say, to agree with God that I was doing life one way and it wasn't working. It was leading to all kinds of chaos. But now what I see in Jesus and in God is the way that orders my life that brings peace and chaos, brings me into relationship with him. So we turn and, and, we, and we live a different way. But we will struggle and we will have these moments. And that is when this event, this moment, this act of obedience uh, becomes words again to us. So we have this tangible moment that reminds us that God has irrevocably committed himself to us. And he promises never to take that commitment away, never to leave us, never to forsake us, that we will never walk alone, that we have the aid of the Holy Spirit always with us. That's what we saw, these promises. We saw them through the What You Believe Matters series, that God is faithful to complete in us the work that he has begun. We didn't get to see Lydia's baptism, but uh, some of us were down there at the Chelsea Pier and we heard Shannon's confession of faith and we saw Alex baptize his wife, which was just beautiful. Thanks, Dave. Here we've been introduced to the second person that Luke wants us to meet as the foundation of the Philippian church. There's no record of her baptism. That's possibly due to the fact that Paul and Silas are hauled off to jail. Like they're, they're, they're taken straight, they're beaten and stripped and, and taken to jail. And the narrative that Luke writes follows them. But all commentators agree that uh, the slave girl has had a life-changing, transforming encounter with Jesus. Um, it's very particular to say that in his name, which means that she, is, she knows, this girl would have known a lot about uh, who Jesus was. She's been mocking uh, Paul and Silas every day they come out. She's on the street mocking this claim about this Messiah who died and then rose again and all this sort of stuff. But in this encounter, this name of Jesus has worked a transformation in her life. And then what we find here is that the gospel is for the oppressed and those who have experienced injustice. This girl is at the opposite end of the map to Lydia. If Lydia had it all together, then this girl is all all torn apart, all messed up. Just a thing that's being exploited uh, by people that they might earn money out of her. Lydia is moral. This girl is demon-oppressed. Lydia was seeking this girl is mocking God and she probably knows more about God than most but she is deeply troubled and she's not saved by intellectual reasoning of how Jesus fills up and completes the hope of the Old Testament she is saved through a powerful deep encounter in her soul deep heart transformation as a soul quake so the gospel just punches the oppression in her life right in the face with grace deep heart grace gripping her soul she has a new identity the old one has been overmastered the last person that luke wants us to meet as the church of philippi comes together as it gets off the ground and gospel breathes life into it is this blue-collar worker this jailer and he would have been a retired roman soldier that's where you know no good for battle anymore but could take care of a prison cell his life is certainly not going to end up in forbes magazine 
but neither is it the kind of hot mess of our slave girl, street kid. This guy is most likely not interested in some kind of academic, rational discourse, or, nor is he interested in some kind of deeply emotional encounter. He's not about sentiment. He's a Roman soldier. He's all about duty. He's all about honor to Rome. He's very practical. He's hardened by war, shaped by discipline and honor to the emperor. He's secular in his thinking. His whole identity is built on duty and honor to Rome. And he's just there in a way to pick up a paycheck, head towards proper retirement. He's just there to do his job. He wants to go home at the end of the day, at the end of the shift to his well-ordered family, just grab a beer, sit on a couch and watch the gladiators on Netflix or Foxtel or whatever they had back then. That's his go. That's his rip. But he would have had no issue at all in making Paul and Silas stay in prison unpleasant. You read there that he puts them in the inner cell in the darkest, most confined place. And then he puts Paul and Silas, who have just been you know, stripped and beaten, had the living suitcase beaten out of them. He puts their beaten bodies into stocks, not to make sure they don't escape, but to make their lives even more uncomfortable. Like stocks then were not like when you go to, I don't know, one of those places and you put your head and your thing in the stocks. These things were designed to contort the body, to make what was already painful even more painful. And then for the rest of the shift, he is confronted with a picture of irreducible joy and an identity that is not shaped by the environment and an identity that's not shaped by the torturous conditions that they suffer, but who they suffer it with and why they suffer it. Just singing and praying, Paul and Silas in praise to God. And then an earthquake hits the jail, resulting in the possible loss of all the prisoners. Now, loss of prisoners for a Roman soldier is not good. That's a failure of duty. That's a failure of honor. So everything that this man builds his life on is now just literally gone up in rubble. His life is gone. So before Rome can inflict the final blow on him, because that's what they'll do, they'll take his life, probably in some shameful manner, he decides to end his own life. One last act of honor. But then comes the final gospel message. No one has moved. They're all still there. Paul calls out, don't, don't, don't take your life. Hilt that sword. You see, if Paul and Silas had escaped, they would have gained their freedom, but it would have been at the loss of the jailer's life. But they stayed. They responded to his cruelty with grace. Their freedom would have come at the expense of the jailer's life, but they have already encountered freedom in Christ, the one who's given his life for theirs. So they stay. And now Paul shows this secular, hard man a better identity, a more fulfilling reality a greater duty that transcends everything that he has previously known he shares the gospel with the jailer and the jailer responds to the gospel not because of superior reason not because of spiritual power but because of practical witness he saw genuine faith genuine um, presence of Jesus in the life of Paul and Silas it was unexplainable but it was undeniable and he wants in. He wants a part of it. And so they share the gospel with him. 
It's interesting that, 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 that then once he comes to salvation, he decides to wash the wounds of Paul and Silas, takes them out of the stocks and home and they share life. The, the church at Philippi began with people from all over the map. An elite businesswoman who kind of, you know, wears Prada and, and seeks virtue to a, a demon-possessed slave girl who, who mocks Christians to this blue-collar worker, duty-bound to the Roman Empire. And the gospel unites them all in a common experience of grace found in Jesus. Jesus takes strangers and he makes them family, he makes them friends, he takes natural-born enemies and he makes them brothers and sisters. And not just in Philippi, not just 2,000 years ago, but here at Chelsea. We are from all over the map. Some of us have encountered the love of God and the grace of Jesus applied to our hearts in the Holy Spirit from, from just as many uh, different life stories as we find in Philippians, as we've heard up here on the stage. And that's why we baptize people once they come in, once they've encountered God, the Father who planned salvation, and they encounter Jesus, and then the Spirit comes into the life, and we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. All three members of the Godhead are involved in your salvation. All three of them are working to bring you into faith. And so we've seen that this morning. We've heard testimony story. We got to witness the baptism. We're going to finish our time together this morning with another uh, a a ceremony if you like memorial that Jesus gave us to make sure that we never drift too far from understanding and having the gospel at the center never drift too far from the story of Jesus in our lives and what he has done for us to bring us into family and that is communion all four gospel accounts uh, have the life of Jesus written in him and we find Jesus instructing his followers to remember who he is and what he's done for them how he has brought them into this family how he has saved them from sin and that it's him that unites people together and fits them for eternity on these tables we have you know little uh emblems a bread that represents the body of Jesus and 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 cups there of juice that represents his blood and we gather around that as a family. And as we do, we, we, we witness the shared faith and the shared testimony. We've had some testimonies here, but as we come forward and we partake in these tables, we see the testimony of so many different people. And as we do, we're spiritually nourished and renewed at this table. It reminds us of what unites us. And it reminds us that what unites us is far greater than anything that seeks to divide us. In Acts 2, we get that we, it's recorded as one of the first things that the church does, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the, to the breaking of bread and prayers. This is part of our story. This is part of our rhythm of life to come and remember what Jesus has done for us. And, the, and again, the, the, the bread represents the body of Jesus broken for us and, 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 his, and his suffering in, instead of ours, as Alex talked about, and his loss of life instead of ours. And it does this by evoking memory and provoking hope. It evokes in us a memory of how the gospel impacted our lives and how as we realized our need for Jesus. And it helps us to do exactly what Jesus asks in Luke 22, to remember him. But not merely as this historic event, but as a living encounter, relational encounter that we go on every day. And it provokes hope as we encounter and trust in the work of the Spirit of God to hold us in place and, and complete the work that he's begun in us until Jesus returns. So 
It provides, it helps us to think back and remember what Jesus has done. It helps us to see it and to give thanks for where we are at this very moment. And it helps us to look forward to what is coming, that Jesus is returning, that this isn't all of our story. But if that is your story, if you are like Lydia, if you are like Shannon, if you are like Alex, if you are like the street kids, if you are like the Pels, and you've trusted in Jesus, then come and, and take these elements and reflect and remember with humility and gratitude on all that Jesus has done for you. And then after a couple of minutes, we just take the bread and pray and, and, and spend time with God. And then at a point, we'll drink the cups together that symbolizes our unity in Christ. So feel free to come forward. And then we're going to close our service with uh, a final song. Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh, come to identify with us, but not merely to identify with us, but come to deal with everything that keeps us from God, seeing our own pursuit of anything other than God, that he might come and die in our behalf for all the wrong and what sin that we've committed. We've heard these stories this morning, so that then we might be able to identify with him, that we would be able to take on his uh, standing before God, that we come into this family we see that Christ came, that he died, he rose to heaven and he waits there now. And then one day, this is the Christian hope that he's returning and it's going to make all things new. But until then, we remember all that he's done and we drink in remembrance of that and we drink also in the hope to come.